Welcome to the Love First Podcast, where we are committed to biblical teaching and sharing the principles and the promises of living out our faith according to what Jesus says are the two greatest commandments, loving God with our whole being and loving others as ourselves. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to help build your faith and deepen your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. Welcome to our second week of a three-week series that we've entitled Becoming a Difference Maker. We are looking at that great hero of the faith, Gideon. Now, for those who don't know the story of Gideon, he lived in a time when Israel was under the domination of the Midianites. Now, we saw last week that Gideon was a scared shell of a man hiding from the enemy when the angel of the Lord approached him with a job to do. Namely, he was to lead the people of Israel out of their captivity to the Midianites. Now, this wasn't a Moses-type leading where he could just go to the king and demand to let my people go and follow it up with a bunch of plagues before the king would finally say, enough is enough, and let them go. No, this was going to be a victory that would require a military. And Gideon was a scared little farmer, not a charismatic, brilliant military leader. Now, we learned last week that It not only is okay to be afraid and and think that we have no leadership skills, because quite often those are the very ones that God calls. And we discuss that God sees us for what we can be, not for what we think we are. And maybe you could even say what others think we are. We saw through looking at the life of Gideon that God has already given us the strength and everything else that we need to make a difference in people's lives, our community, church, and even the world. Even if we don't feel like we have what it takes, God can do that. Now we talked about the fact that when we are submitted to following Christ, there will be obstacles arise, get in our way, but that those obstacles will seem like a very small thing in comparison to the strength of Christ if we only try to find that strength of Christ. And finally, we realize that difference makers must get rid of everything that replaces God in their lives. It's not that you have to get rid of everything, but they've got to take a backseat, a secondary importance. Well, that was last week in a nutshell. Now, if you missed it, you might want to go back and listen to it with an ear towards asking God how he wants you to become a hero of the faith. Well, this week we're going to take up right where we left off last time in Judges chapter 6. Gideon had completed stage 1. He had gone by the cover of night to destroy the idols to the little g-god, Baal. Now, remember we saw last week that he went at night because he was afraid. But let's watch the story unfold, and by the end of it, you will see how when we see God work in our lives and work all around us, all fear begins to fade away. Now, I know that we often talk in church circles that we should not be afraid. I mean, after all, the Bible tells us several hundred times to fear not. But let's be realistic here. There are times we are afraid. Or maybe we don't want to admit to 
fear. So instead, we use that much holier-sounding word, worry. We are worried about the direction our country is heading. We are worried about our job. We are worried about certain members of our family. We are worried about our health. In this time, when, when I'm recording this, we as a nation are worried about the coronavirus. We are worried about whether or not we are going to be able to afford something we, we desperately need. Let's face it, many of us think we have that spiritual gift of worry. But don't you know that worry is just another form of fear? Oh, it would be so easy for me to say that the Bible tells us not to worry or fear, so therefore I don't worry or fear. That would be great if it were that easy. And I suppose sometimes it really is that easy. But other times, though our doctrine, our mind, tells us that we should not worry or fear, our emotions tell us differently. And how many of you can attest to the fact that oftentimes your emotions dictate the state of your mind? I know I can. I used to suffer from some fairly serious anxiety. Thank God he has taken that away from me, but I have to admit, I still tend to worry about some things. And sometimes that anxiety will start to creep up, and I really have to focus on God during that time. In our story of Gideon, despite everything we talked about last time, he still had fear. But get this, he followed God anyway. You see, fear is no excuse for not making a difference. Gideon was scared. Oh, he was scared to death. As we saw last week, he even went against his own father to do what God wanted him to do. I would say the results of that probably meant Gideon would be cut out of the inheritance altogether. But then again, he probably wasn't too worried about his inheritance when he figured most likely he was not going to survive what God was calling him to do. But Gideon stood strong as a difference maker, and despite his fears, he followed God. And here's the great thing. Later, when we see Gideon basically terrorizing the Midianites, there is not even a hint of fear left in him. Because when we see God start moving in mighty ways in our lives, fear cannot help but be chased away. So let's see just what God did and what Gideon did as a result of following God that really started making a difference. Let's pick up in Judges chapter 6 verse 28. Early the next morning, the morning after he by the cover of night destroyed the altar of Baal just to set us where we belong, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. All right, stop for a minute. This is an important fact that we, we sometimes miss. Gideon not only tore down the altar to Baal, but he replaced it with an altar to God. Now, sometimes in our life, we fail to fully crush those bales that we have in our lives. Those things that we sometimes hold on as, as being very important to us, uh, maybe more important than God, because we don't replace it with the things of God. Oh, I know we won't admit that 
that any one thing is more important to us than God. That just wouldn't make us a very good Christian, would it? That goes back to one of those things we, we put in the filing cabinet of our brain under the file, God is the most important thing in my life, and we believe that file. It holds all the doctrinal truth in it. But the problem is that it stays there in the filing cabinet, inside of our brain, and never becomes a part of our daily lives. So we believe that God is the most important thing, but we live like our job is the most important thing. Or maybe our hobbies. Or how about this? Because this is going to sound much more holy. We live like our family or our church is the most important thing. Now, now all of those things are important, but each of them, yes, even the church is not as important as God is in our lives. You know, so often we cannot make a difference in any area of our lives because we don't complete the task that God gives us. Gideon tore down the altar of Baal and replaced it with an altar to God. Until we learn to make our lives an altar to God, we cannot make the difference in a part of our world that God wants us to make that difference in. All of our good intentions and even desires will fall short if all we do is try to tear down those things that keep us from focusing on God if we don't replace it with the things of God. So you want your family to be stronger? Don't just cut out things that take away from your family. Replace it with something meaningful. Don't just cut out uh, a limit to your computer time or your television time or your hobby time or whatever it is. Fill that time with meaningful, purposeful, godly things. You want to make a difference in your community? Don't just talk about it. Do something. Go help the homeless. Volunteer at the shelters or the Salvation Army. Donate to food banks. Do something to make a difference. What about your church? Do you want to make a difference in your church community? Then stop complaining that it's not meeting your needs. Stop waiting for someone else to start a ministry that you feel strongly about. Get out there and do it. Talk to your pastor. Talk to the board. Talk to the church leaders. Let them hear your heart. But don't expect them to do it. If it is something God's laid on your heart, then, then you need to be ready to, to head it up. Do something. Nothing great is ever done by people sitting on their hands. No one can make a difference when all they do is talk about what needs to be done. It takes not only recognizing the altars of Baal and tearing them down, but it takes us replacing those altars by sacrificing ourselves, our time, our money, our focus, whatever else, to God. And when we do that, things begin to happen. When Gideon tore down the altar to Baal and replaced it with an altar to God, he set in motion a chain of events that catapulted him from being that scared farmer who was cowering trying to thresh wheat in a wine press to one of the great all-time heroes of the faith. So let's see how that happened. Let's continue verse 29. The people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. 
But Joash shattered the mob that confronted him. Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerub Baal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. All right, here's a life lesson here. Different maker, difference makers cannot stay anonymous. They become leaders. Now, I know sometimes we want to think you can make a difference and just be in the background and, and not do anything. And, and you can do a degree. You can be certain kinds of difference makers. But if you want to really seriously make an impact on your world, you can't stay anonymous. I know there's a number of you out there who want to make a difference, but you want to stay anonymous. Maybe it's because you're an introvert and the idea of being known and, and being a leader scares you. That's okay. Remember, you aren't going to be making a difference based on your personality. Gideon was timid and afraid. He didn't want to be known. He followed God and, and did it at night so that no one would know who it was who tore down the altar to Baal. You see, it's okay not to want to be noticed. In fact, I think God prefers people who don't want to be noticed. He doesn't want people trying to make a difference because they want to be noticed. I mean, look at your Bible history, at those great leaders that made a difference. None of them set out to be noticed. Moses tried to hide from the spotlight. Jonah ran from the spotlight. Nehemiah, well, he had no spotlight at all, just enemies. Over and over again, the Bible gives us accounts of people who were not after the spotlight, but who made an impact, who made a difference in their world. And the funny thing is, Despite their desire to stay out of the spotlight, they did not remain anonymous. They became leaders that made a difference. And that brings us to our next life lesson here. People will follow a difference maker who follows Christ. People will follow a difference maker who follows Christ. All right, let's continue reading verse 33. Soon afterwards, the army, armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. If there were ever a time for someone to make a difference in a group of people, this was the time. An alliance of several nations camped around Israel, ready to completely destroy them. There was no hope for the nation of Israel. You know, some of you right now are there. You feel as if all hope is gone. You're still without a job and your savings has dried up. The doctor gave you bad news that you only have a short time to live. Your son or daughter has rebelled and despite everything you've tried, there's no relationship with them anymore. Whatever it is, you feel the enemy completely camped around you and you have all but lost hope. But let me assure you that all hope is not lost. Let's continue with our text. The point we were making was that people will follow difference makers. So let's continue in verse 34. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abizir came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. You see, when, when God's hand is on us, when we are following what He wants us to do, when we are making a difference, whether it's in our family, our community, our church, or our world, or wherever, other people are going to want to jump on board. Let me explain this because I know some of you out there are already trying to think of exceptions to, to what I just said. Some of you are saying to yourself and, and maybe already saying to other people or posting on social media that, hey, this Steve guy, he's wrong. You will quote songs like, though none go with me, I still will follow. And you will say that oftentimes following Christ actually leads to loneliness and rejection. And you're right. That happens. Maybe you have experienced that kind of rejection for following Christ. Maybe you have suffered for righteousness. And if you have, if you have truly suffered for righteousness and been rejected by people because you are truly following Christ, then may God surround you with his love and fill you with his grace because you are a special person. But here's a great thing. If you truly have suffered because of your walk with Christ, then I have good news for you here. You may not see it now, but others will follow your example. Just read some of those great biographies of the faith. David Brainerd, David Livingston, Jim Elliott, the list goes on. They suffered, and at times they could not see anyone following them. Take Jim Elliott, for instance. As a young missionary in Ecuador trying to reach the Alca tribe for Christ, he and his four companions were killed by the very people that they were trying to reach. And I'm sure he thought in his final moments that he had sacrificed his life in vain. He never reached the Alcas for Christ. No one followed him. He died a waste. Or so he thought. When word got back to the United States of the five missionaries killed in Ecuador, it sparked hundreds and hundreds of people to not only give their life to Christ, but to literally follow Jim Elliott to the mission field. And yes, the Alcas, just a few years later, were one of those lost tribes reached for Christ. Jim Elliott made a difference, and his testimony sparked people to follow him even decades after his death. So, if you are truly suffering for Christ, then even if you don't see it right now, others will follow your example eventually. You will be making a difference. However, oh boy, I'm about to speak some truth right now, and that's going to either make you mad or set you free to actually start making a difference. Which one it does is entirely up to you. But so often, people think they are suffering for Christ. They think they are rejected because of their Christianity. But in reality, they are suffering rejection for their own sake. And hear me out. I think in today's world, especially right here in the United States, that it is more prevalent than we think. I know there are those who believe that true suffering is around the corner for our country, and, and they may be right. But right now, I want to talk about where we are right now. 
I believe the reason that we often think we are rejected has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but rather the image of Christianity that we love to portray to the world. To the world today, Christians are known as judgmental, bigoted, homophobic, gun-toting, immigrant-hating, racist, self-righteous hypocrites who want to condemn people to hell more than they see, more than they want to see them in heaven. And I can't argue with the world on that because we don't show the kind of Christianity that Christ modeled while he walked on this earth. It's no wonder why people are not attracted to following Christ when what they see of these so-called Christians is a group of people who cannot even get along with themselves. Now, in an earlier series, I, I did a three-week series from the first uh, part of Galatians chapter 5 that was entitled, The Only Thing That Really Counts. And in that series, I discuss at great length just what it is that Christians should be. And it's a far cry from what most Christians are today. I believe that the truths discussed in that series has a chance to revolutionize your life where you truly can start making a difference. Some of you might want to go back and listen to that series. The only thing that really counts. Now, without going back and retelling all the great truths from that series, let me simplify it into one single half a verse in Galatians chapter 5, the second half of verse 6. It says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There you have it. If you want to make a difference in your home, your community, your church, and, and perhaps even your world, then, then start living by that verse. Live a life of faith and love. Love first. In your home, begin trying to demonstrate love to your family each and every day. Try to practice each day performing random acts of kindness. Do something for someone in your family that they're not expecting. In your community, do something to help those in need. Help feed the hungry or the homeless. Give to the poor. Stop doing what so many of us do, myself included, and drive right by those people standing on the corner with a sign asking for money. Now, I know the argument we love to give. Well, if I give them money, they will probably just go buy alcohol or cigarettes or maybe even drugs with it. Yeah, they might. But maybe they won't. Jesus tells us many times in the New Testament to give to the poor. He didn't ask us to be the judge to determine how they're going to be using that money. He simply said, give. So now you have a choice. Do you obey Christ? Or do you stand as the judge? Yep, I'm getting pretty real here right now. Okay, what about your church? You know, sadly, oftentimes a church is often the hardest place to make a difference. Understandably so. Many churches have a whole list of hoops you have to jump through before they give their blessing on something you feel God wants you to do that will start making a difference in people's lives. As I said, it is perfectly understandable why the church feels like it needs to have a series of hoops to jump through. There are hoops to jump through to become a member, and there are more hoops to jump through if you want to do something to, to make a difference. Churches do that because... Before they put their stamp of approval on something, they want to make sure that those who are heading it up 
are not some fly-by-night people who will quit on them or lead them into something that they're that the church isn't behind. Because if their name is on this ministry, they want to know that it's going to be something that falls under the beliefs and the mission of the church. And I get that. I really do. But in a way, it's sad because so many people don't even try to make a difference in an area that God has laid on their hearts because they don't want to jump through all those hoops. Or maybe they don't even know what hoops they have to jump through. Now, if that's you, then let me encourage you to prayerfully consider those hoops. And while you are busy jumping through those hoops, feel free to plug into other areas of the church in order to start making a difference where you are. You know, for the longest time, I believe that many churches were wrong to require so many hoops for people to jump through. I mean, here we have someone who wants to make a difference, who wants to do something for the kingdom of God. Perhaps they even are gifted in this area, but they they feel stifled because there are too many hoops to jump through. And in some cases, and I still believe I was right, that's just what happens. Churches need to be careful not to stifle the zeal of someone who wants to follow God. On the other hand, I also see that God does not want us to, or that God does want us to be cautious. Okay, well, we see in Judges 6, verse 33 and following, that difference makers are cautious. They do not rush foolheartedly into something. Instead, they do it with, with it with it's some of one of my favorite things. They pray. Verse 36 of Judges chapter 6 says, Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, Please don't be angry with me, but but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry while the ground is, is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Now, for those of us who grew up in Sunday school and church, it's probably one of the two parts of the Gideon story that we remember the most. You may even have heard the phrase, or perhaps used it yourself, that you are laying out a fleece to see what God wants you to do. Now, most of us, when seeking guidance about something, don't literally lay a blanket out in the backyard and pray that that if God would keep it completely dry while the ground around it is soaked, then we will follow what he has told us. But, you know, we often do something similar. We ask God to open and close doors. We ask God to send someone to us with a word to confirm whether or not we should do something or not. That's me. That's the one I always fall back on. God, if this is something you want me to do, send me someone to confirm it. Or perhaps some of us don't do anything at all, and we just wait for it to just happen. Well, I want to look at this whole fleece thing that Gideon did from two different angles. First, from the point of view that so many of us take, we are not sure where God is leading on any particular thing, and therefore we put out our own version of the fleece before God. I can't say that it is wrong, 
Caution is often the better part of valor. And yes, God does bless us through our caution. He does open and close doors because we don't rush foolheartedly into something. There is wisdom in taking the time to lay out that proverbial fleece. But then there's the flip side of things. God has already clearly spoken to Gideon. He had already told him what he needed to do because that mighty hero, or to become that mighty hero, to become that difference maker. There was no question what Gideon was supposed to do, and God had already confirmed that call in many different ways. Yet, Gideon still wasn't sure. He was still being cautious. I would argue that he was being too cautious. Let's face it. God has already clearly spoken to him, and God had already confirmed his call on Gideon's life. Then Gideon went and laid out the fleece to make sure he understood God. Or maybe he was trying to give God an out, hoping God would just change his mind. But God did exactly what Gideon had requested. But that wasn't enough. Gideon had to go out and do that fleece thing one more time. But you know the great thing about God is that he doesn't get frustrated and just blows off. I think I would have. By that time, if I were God, I would have simply said, Never mind, Gideon. You aren't interested in making a difference. You aren't interested in following me. Go back to your hiding down in your wine press. I'll go find someone else to free Israel from the Midianites' reign of terror. You know, it's a good thing God is not like me. Because so many of us would have tried his patience so much that he would have just quit on us. I know he would have quit on me if I were God. But he didn't quit on Gideon. And he doesn't quit on you. He still saw Gideon as that mighty warrior that we talked about last week. He still sees us as difference makers. He doesn't give up. As the song says, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. That is the God we serve. He doesn't give up on us. He continues working on us and working with us to become exactly what he wants us to be. And now I ask you, what has God been talking to you about today? All of us are called to make some kind of difference in the world that we live in. We are called to make a difference in our family, in our workplace, in our church, in our community, or in our world. In what area or areas is He touching your heart today? Take a moment to pray about that and, and, and write it down when you feel God is calling you to make a difference in, in some area. So let me ask you this. What does he want you to do to make a difference in your family? It doesn't just have to be your kids. Many of you have grown kids who are long gone from the nest. Does God still want you making a difference in their lives or, or perhaps the lives of, of your grandkids? And some of you may have no children at all. And that's okay. Do you have other family members that God wants you to make a difference with? A spouse? Parents? Siblings? Perhaps extended family? Or maybe it's a different kind of family. Maybe it's close friends that God is calling you to make a difference in their lives. Pick a few of, of these that the Holy Spirit is prompting you 
right now to make a difference with and write down their names. What about your workplace or, or your school or other places you normally gather with people? Is God laying something on your heart right now, gently reminding you that you are not there simply to make a living or to get an education or to socialize? You are there for a reason, to make a difference. If he is speaking to you about making a difference in that capacity, then, then jot that down right now. Commit to it. Is God wanting you to do something to get more involved in your community so that you can make a difference there? Maybe you have that inkling inside your mind right now of some place you should volunteer or help out. Maybe the poor and the destitute are on your heart, or, or perhaps the widows and the orphans, or, or the single moms. Some of you might even have a desire to get involved in, in local politics. I don't know what it is that God is putting on your heart right now, but you do. If there is something in your community that God has called you to make a difference in for Him, then write that down. How about your church? May I be so bold as to say right now that I truly believe that God has called many of you to get involved on a much deeper level in your church than you are right now? Many of you have had the Holy Spirit touch your heart with the idea of of teaching a class or, or helping with the kids, working in the nursery, working with teenagers, maybe leading a small group, maybe something else. I can tell you right now that there are needs out there in these areas right now in your church. Yet the same 20% of the people do the work while 80% sit back and watch them do it. Allow me to be blunt here. Not because I, I want to be mean, but because I desire for each of you to start making a difference in your church. You will never make a difference in your church if all you do is come in, sit down, sing a little, and listen to a sermon, and then leave. Maybe that's alright with you, but let me take it one step farther because quite frankly, it's not about you. It is about the kingdom of God and it is about your church making a difference in lives both inside and outside those four walls. And if you are not making a difference and he is not making a difference and she is not making a difference and you string a line of people together who are not making a difference, then you have a church full of people who are not making a difference. And only 20% of the church is actually making a difference. What if 80% of the church was making a difference? What kind of impact would you have then? What kind of disciples could you be developing and releasing into the world to make a difference? Now I want to ask you to do something that might be uncomfortable for you, but, but that's okay. Your discomfort is only going to be between you and God. No one has to stand up and announce anything to anyone. What I'm going to ask you to do is to take a minute and prayerfully ask God to lay things on your heart that He wants you to do in the ministry of your church to make a difference. And then comes the hard part. I believe that God is going to speak to many, if not all of you today, and lay on your heart something that He wants you to do. 
don't listen to any excuses that might give yourself that you might give yourself, and and don't succumb to the fear uh, that you might have about doing it. Remember what we said earlier: when we see God work in our lives and work all around us, all fear begins to fade away. Now, write down those things that God has said to you. It doesn't mean that you are committing to them right now, but it is admitting that God might want you to get involved to help make a difference. You are not committing to do this right now, and it is not a forever commitment. As we said, difference makers are cautious. They do not rush foolhardily into something. Instead, they pray about it. So, Take this week to pray about those ministries that God prompted you to get involved with. And once God confirms in your heart that you need to make a difference in that area, approach the leadership of that ministry and let them know. But be sure of this. God will answer one way or another if you seek His heart on this. If He says yes, then you need to do it. But if you're going to make a decision after writing something down that you are not going to do it, you really need to be sure that God has told you no. He's not going to be mad at you if you don't do it, but you're going to miss out on some of the greatest blessings of life. When you get rid of the fear and you start living a life as a difference maker, it brings a new level of love, both towards God and to those you are making a difference to, and and not to mention a real sense of personal joy. So, Come back next week as we conclude our series on how to be a difference maker when we look at that very strange way that God led Gideon to make a difference and then learn some practical life lessons that we can use today as we become difference makers. You won't want to miss that. Until then, may God surround you with His love and fill you with His grace so that you will learn to manifest love first in your life. Hi, this is Steve Bittison. If you enjoyed this podcast or if God blessed you or taught you anything in it, I hope that you will subscribe to the Love First podcast and share it with your friends. That way you won't miss any of the upcoming teachings and messages and maybe you will help be a blessing to someone else.